If you have your Bible with you, you can open to Psalm 32. If you were here with us last week, we did Psalm 32, 1 through 7. We are going to finish Psalm 32 today, verses 8 through 11. Before we read, just by way of reminder, the opening of Psalm 32 presents us with uh, an Old Testament beatitude. Beatitude is a statement about blessing or where happiness or bliss is to be found. We usually think of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and goes on. Uh, But this is an Old Testament statement of blessing. And the blessing defined in Psalm 32 is the blessing of forgiveness. That people who are guilty, not just of mistakes, people who are guilty of breaking knowingly, willfully breaking God's law can be forgiven. People who are bent and twisted in their nature, full of iniquity, that burden can be taken off of them. That's what happiness is, to know that you have been forgiven. And then the wonder of it all is that that blessing that brings that kind of unrivaled happiness is not something that we have to work for. David says in Psalm 32, the way that I found this blessing, the way that I experienced this happiness and this joy, I tried to basically keep quiet, cover my sin, not let anyone know. That was the worst thing I could have done. It ate away at me. Then I confessed my sin, and He forgave. That kind of blessing that cannot be bought, that cannot be earned, that cannot be manufactured, David says, is available for free to anyone who would just simply admit that they are a sinner that needs to be forgiven. That is a huge blessing. But it gets even better than that. Psalm 32. I'm going to read the whole psalm. We are going to focus on 8 through 11. See if you can hear what the added blessing on top of blessing is for those of us who know what it means to be forgiven. Psalm 32, verse 1, David says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not count iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they would not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness will surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, if you would count our iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you might be feared. We thank you that you are a good and gracious king who forgives the iniquity and the transgression, the rebellion of sinful, wayward people. We thank you that you have done it once and for all through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And that the life that he died to purchase for us has been made real and active through the regenerating work of your Holy Spirit that you give to us to make us alive, to keep us alive, and to bring us safely home. We thank you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the blessing in Psalm 32, ultimately that, that uh, overshadows the whole psalm, is the blessing of forgiveness. That people who don't deserve to be forgiven can be forgiven. That people who can't buy or purchase a pardon are given it for free. And that the only thing that you have to do in order to get this kind of forgiveness and pardon is to simply admit, to confess that you need it. I think, though, what Psalm 32, 8 and 9, 10 and 11 are sort of the conclusion to the psalm, but I think the added blessing on top of blessing is this, that God is so good and so gracious, He does not merely intend to forgive us of our sin. He does. That would be enough. Not only does He intend to see us forgiven of our sin, He intends to see us free of our sin. Before we look at 8 and 9, let me, let me tell you where I'm coming from in handling this. There's a little bit of discussion in verse 8 as to who the speaker is. So it seems pretty clear that in the first seven verses, David is reflecting on his personal experience in carrying around the burden and the weight of sin finding release and forgiveness and the pardon that only God can give. And then in verse 8, you have this statement, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. It could be that that statement in verse 8 is David talking to other people to basically say, what I have learned, I will now share with you. And, and that's possible 
There are other places in the Psalms. Psalm 34 is one example. You don't need to turn there now, but where that does happen, where David basically says, if you want to know or learn the fear of the Lord, come to me, and I'll tell you what the Lord has taught me. In this case, though, I don't think that verses 8 and 9 is the voice of David speaking. I think it's God speaking. One of the reasons that I think this is because it would be one thing if the statement was that I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. So, one Christian learning from the Lord and then teaching another Christian the lessons that he has picked up along the way. But the statement at the end of verse 8, that I will counsel you with my eye upon you, that's sort of all-encompassing, 24-7 kind of counsel and watching. seems to be something that David would not be able to provide for anyone. I think that sort of around-the-clock counsel, wherever you go, my eye is upon you, I think is the Lord saying that wherever you go in this life, I will be watching and I will give you counsel. Interestingly enough, if you go over just, it may be on the same page, depending on where Psalm 33 falls in your Bible. If you look at Psalm 33, 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. I'm going to say that that works or fits well with 32.8. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, and the Lord is saying to David and to anyone else who would be in David's position, having been forgiven of sin, that I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So the point is this. Here's what I want to do then. In verses 8 and 9 to try to communicate the point that's being made there as the Lord speaks to David, we would just simply say that the Lord directs us to freedom from sin. The Lord directs us to freedom from sin, and then verses 10 and 11 sort of sum up the entire psalm with this call to praise and rejoice. Verses 10 and 11 get across the idea that trusting God for forgiveness and for freedom is the way to lasting happiness. So number one, the Lord directs us to freedom from sin. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. Let me tell you how not to hear this. Do not hear verse 8 as God taking on the lecturing tone of a cosmic school teacher. Apologies to school teachers. But I'm talking about the worst kind of school teachers, not the good ones, right? The ones who, when you mess up, when you can't figure it out, right, rather than encouraging you, rather than giving you instruction, they find it necessary just to lecture you endlessly, which essentially just continues to remind you about how pitiful and how ignorant you are. This is not what's going on in 32.8. This is the goodness of God being given generously to undeserving sinners. This is God saying, yes, 
just simply for your confessing and seeking forgiveness. I will forgive you, but I'll do more than that. Not only will I forgive you of your sin, I will show you how to live, how to walk, so that you gain increasingly freedom from that sin that makes your life so miserable. It would be more than what we deserve if every suffering, every pain, every sorrow that we bring on ourselves because of our sin, if every time we encountered some sort of sorrow or discomfort, it would be one thing, it would be enough if God says, I will forgive that and pardon it, I'll wipe it, it's off your record, you don't have to worry about it anymore. That would be enough. But for God to say, but actually, I care so much about you that not only am I willing to forgive that, but I want to help you not run into that error again is blessing on top of blessing. Psalm 25, I think it's verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He instructs sinners in the way." Do you hear that? Good and upright, good and straight, good and righteous is the Lord, therefore, therefore, because He is good and righteous, He instructs sinners in the way. You ought to hear Psalm 25.8 echoing in your head when you read Psalm 32.8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go so that this sin does not trouble you, so that you don't fall prey to it anymore. How does He do that? How does He give us instruction? How does He teach us? How does He show us where to walk, where not to walk, how to live, how not to live? Stole my thunder. His Word. Psalm 119, 99 says this, I have more insight than all my teachers, for your words are my meditation. That, that verb, that word in 119.99, I have more insight, that's the same Hebrew word that's used in 32.8 that says, I will instruct. So 32.8, I will instruct, I will give you insight, is what's being said in, in 32.8. Psalm 119.99 says, I have more insight than all my other teachers because I meditate on your words. God gives 
instruction, good, gracious, life-giving, life-enhancing, life-cultivating instruction and guidance to His people through His Word. Don't miss what is an implication in 32.8. I think that, that although it's God who's speaking and offering this unilaterally, I will give you insight and teaching. I will counsel you. 32.8, that counsel and instruction, that kind of insight, that's what people who have been forgiven of deep, grievous sin, that's what our hearts want. If you truly grieve and mourn over sin, such that you confess your sin to find pardon and forgiveness and healing, you don't want to be back there again. You want escape. You don't just want freedom from the penalty of sin, you want freedom from the power of sin. And God says, I'll give it to you. Listen to me. Listen so that you can live. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 8. See if this doesn't bear some sort of weight or relevance to this instruction and insight that the Lord gives. Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Jesus says also in John chapter 8, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if you listen if you take, if you live in my word, you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You can be free. A little bit later in John chapter 8, Jesus says in verse 51, Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Who's going to top that? Who's going to give us the kind of freedom that says, not only are you free from the power of sin, you're free from death. Nobody does that. Nobody offers that. No one can give that, but Christ can. And if you've been united with Christ through repentance and faith, trusting that His sacrifice counts for you, that He suffered the penalty that you deserve, if your heart has been cleansed, if your heart by the Holy Spirit has been regenerated and made new, your heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh, you have, although it may be weak and fluttering at times, you have within you the gift of a heart that wants to obey. 
You grow frustrated and tired when you don't. And God in His grace and goodness says, if you will come and if you will listen, I will give you, I will lay out for you, I will show you the path of life. And Jesus makes it even more specific and says, for anyone who's looking to find the path of life, freedom from sin, and freedom even from the consequences of sin, you come to me and you listen to my words and you believe them and you follow them, you trust me and you will have the freedom that no one else could offer you. Notice, though, with this offer, this gift of good, wise instruction and counsel, notice that there is a word of caution that comes with it. Verse 9, don't be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they will not come near to you. Don't be like a dumb animal. Don't hesitate. Don't stand at a distance. Come. Come. I'll give. I love to give. If you need wisdom, ask for it. I give it generously, and I don't look down on you for needing wisdom. I love to give. You need life. I'm the source of life. My words give life. Come, ask. I give it. James 1.21. James says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Do you hear that? Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. That sounds like someone who's been made clean, right? Someone who's been pardoned, someone who's been forgiven, someone who's confessed their sin and says, I need this taken away. And the Lord does. He cleans them. He washes them. He makes them new. Having done that, now what? Receive the Word that has been implanted in your heart. Receive the Word that is able to save your soul. Listen, people, God does not save in various package deals. He does not say, you can choose to get salvation light, salvation general, or salvation ultimate. If you're going to get God's salvation, you're going to get all of it. That means that if you're going to get forgiveness for your sin, you're also going to get His instruction to help you live in that new life that He's just given you. One of the things that this means is that when you come to God's Word, or when you sit under the preaching and teaching of God's Word, if, if your heart winces at times, 
because the Spirit is convicting you of sin, don't run from that. Praise God that your heart winces over conviction of sin. If your heart was dead, you wouldn't care about sin. The fact that your heart feels something when you sin, when you disobey, the fact that your mind feels troubled when God's Word is spoken and you recognize that you have erred again, that you have disobeyed, that's a gift, people. That is a gift. He gives that. And He gives you that, that conscience disturbed so that you can respond to the Word that He has spoken, so that you can find life, not so that you will find death. Let me go one step further, a little bit off script. Right? We mentioned just briefly last week that confession is the means by which we find forgiveness. In, in part, it's how we experience forgiveness in confessing and acknowledging our sin. And one of the things that we mentioned just briefly was one of the gifts that God has given by way of confession is that He's given us a church body. We, he's given us a family that we can confess our sins to. Confess your sins one to another. One of the reasons is because our hearts can be so sick with sin or so deceitful that when we keep confession just as a, an exclusively private matter, I can fool myself into thinking I'm really confessing and repenting of sin when in fact I'm not. One of the ways that I can know that I am serious about dealing with this sin is to confess it to another brother. Because nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to do that unless they want to be done with sin. Your brothers and sisters in this room are a gift that God has given to you so that you can confess sin freely one to another. And in confessing sin, you each can remind each other, we are sinners saved by grace. In addition to that, let me also suggest that if God gives His insight, gives His instruction through His Word, consider, at least hold out the possibility, I know this is going to sound crazy, hold out the possibility that maybe one of the ways that the Word is going to be delivered to you is through the lips of a brother or sister in Christ. So Proverbs makes these statements about where there's no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Where are you going to find an abundance of counselors? 
that will walk with you to victory. Where? You're looking at them. Oh, but these people aren't certified. <laughs> no, but they know forgiveness. And they love to celebrate forgiveness with someone else who needs it. The Lord directs everyone whom He forgives. The one He forgives is the one that He gives freedom. Number two, verses 10 and 11. Trusting God for forgiveness and freedom is the way to lasting happiness. So here's how David wraps up the psalm in verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness will surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. By the way, go back to verse 1, Psalm 32, 1. I'm sorry, not 32, 1, 32, 2. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see how we've come full circle? By the time you get to the end of the psalm and David is talking about forgiveness and instruction on the path of righteousness, by the time he's at the end, he's talking about us as if we are upright in heart. That's a transformative work that only God can do. Back to verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness will surround him. Let me tell you what this does not mean. This does not mean that seeking and receiving forgiveness, that receiving the Lord's instruction and direction and living by it, obeying it. This does not mean that that thing is, that, that receiving God's instruction is going to magically make your life easy. Young people especially, listen to me. If you take the words of Christ, if you live in them, if you keep them, You will truly be one of His disciples, but precisely because you are a disciple of Christ, you will suffer. This world, this society is increasingly hostile, opposed to what the Lord has said in His Word. This is not to say that walking in obedience means that you will be without sorrow. What it does mean, though, is that you will not have the real weighty sorrow of suffering under the displeasure of God Himself. 
Many are the sorrows of the wicked. They continue in sin. They continue to rebel. They continue to disobey. And they heap up sorrow on top of sorrow on top of sorrow. But Isaiah 53 says that we have someone who has already borne and carried our sorrows. Our griefs he bore, our sorrows he carried. Today is Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into Jerusalem presenting Himself as the King that His people have been waiting for. In Luke chapter 9, before Jesus gets to the triumphal entry, two interesting things happen. One, Jesus says very clearly, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. Later in Luke chapter 9, it says that Jesus set His face toward Jerusalem. What does that mean, He set His face toward Jerusalem? It means that Jesus knows what's waiting for Him in Jerusalem. He knows that whatever shouts and whatever praises are going to be in the air as He rides into the city, He knows that's going to be short-lived. He knows what He's going to Jerusalem for, that He's going to suffer and die in obedience to His Father's will. And He sets His face to Jerusalem and says, I'm not turning to the right or to the left, I'm going. Hebrews tells us that He did this for the joy that was set before Him, that He thought little of the shame and the humiliation, but thought much more about the joy that would be His in enduring and being obedient to the end. Christian, this is it. There is a strange mix in this world, in this present life for the Christian, in which, as Paul says, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. This world is broken. This world is heavy. This world is in rebellion against our King. And if the world hates our King, it will hate the servants of the King. I do not say this to cause us to get any kind of hostile attitude with grace and humility. We want to put on the Spirit of Christ, and we want to love those who persecute us. We want to pray for our enemies. But all we're simply trying to say is, is that walking in line with the instruction, the teaching, the counsel that the Lord gives will give us a joy that the world cannot take us away, but it may actually expose us to a different kind of sorrow. But the blessing that is there for those who are trusting in the forgiveness and in the freedom of Christ is to know that any hardship, any sorrow, any grief that I encounter walking on the path that God has laid out for me is not the displeasure and the judgment of God on me. He is already satisfied in Christ. And every 
ounce of difficulty and struggle and suffering that we encounter on the path of obedience to the end is more glory for us in the reward. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many were the sorrows that were on us. We were wicked. But because we have trusted in the Lord, loving kindness will surround us all the days of our lives. Let's pray. Father, what can we say to this kind of grace and generosity? That God-hating rebels, bent and twisted in our nature, heaping guilt upon guilt, loving sin, can come to you and find a full and free pardon because our debt has been paid for by another. Our debt has been paid for by the death of your Son in our place. And to know that not only did He die and suffer in our place, but He was raised again to secure new life for all those who would come and ask for it. Father, I pray that if there is anyone in this room right now who has not come to know and to realize who has not had the assurance that their sins have been forgiven, that you would work on their heart graciously, irresistibly, in such a way that they can't deny the conviction that they feel, the, the pull that is drawing them to find forgiveness in Christ, that they would be overjoyed with the opportunity to be set free. Father, for those of us who are here who are already trusting Christ as our Savior and our Redeemer, would you continue to increase in us an appetite for holiness? Would you keep us alert and attentive to your voice in your word? Would you cause your words to be on our lips as we share it with one another, encouraging one another to press on in sanctification for the great reward that you have laid up for us? Father, you are a good and gracious king, and we praise you for it. Amen. Let me just say before Andy comes and closes us out with, uh, with one more song. If you are here today and you don't, you don't know what we're talking about when we say that you can have the blessing of forgiveness, that your conscience can be made clean, I would love to talk with you. There are people in these pews who would love to talk about you who would love to talk, not about you, who would love to talk to you about how Christ can make that happen for you. I'll stay. I'll be at the door. If you want to stay and talk, you hang back, and I'll find you in the sanctuary after it's over. Andy? I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we continue to worship Him.
the latter verse said we are to trust in God, and, and uh, we do trust in Him because He's faithful. Amen? Let's continue to praise Him with a wonderful hymn entitled, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever chapter 15, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Welcome, and thank you for flying, I mean, joining Edgewood. Our baked potato bar and dessert auction is today after service in the fellowship hall. Our first priority is always safety, so please hang on for a brief safety demonstration before we depart. Find your way down to the children's wing to claim any unclaimed items or baggage before joining us in the fellowship hall. As you find your seat, 
please choose your table with people you wouldn't mind sharing your dessert with. Our potato bar will be along the far wall with both ends of the buffet line serving as a starting point for the meal. Desserts will be displayed conveniently on a table near the wall. Be sure to oogle the dessert table before the bidding war starts so that you can plan what to bid on. Our dessert auction is designed to be eaten with your seatmates in a family style. Attendants will deliver winning auctions to each table with serviceware to enjoy. Youth will serve cold beverages to you at your seat. Our drink options include water, lemonade, sweet tea, and unsweet tea. We are proud to offer free refills. Feel free to approach our coffee bar for a self-serve coffee to pair with your dessert. Make sure that your carry-on items are stored securely under your seat before the bidding war starts. Otherwise, your motion may be interpreted as an active bid. As you admire the centerpieces, please know that they are all for sale. We accept payment by cash, check, and credit card. Please find Amy Cartwright to pay for your centerpiece, or you can pay at the ticket table that's near the exit. Any dispute between guests for the rights to purchase a centerpiece can be settled by an arm wrestling match. Centerpieces from any table may be purchased, so any arm wrestling losers will have plenty of other options. If you need to get up and use the lavatory at any time during the auction, make sure to time your exit before rising, otherwise your standing motion could be interpreted as a bid on a dessert. Remember that smoking is not allowed in any Edgewood building. It is against federal law to tamper with the smoke detectors in the lavatory. Please be sure to silence your cell phones. Answering your cell phone during the auction could be interpreted as a bid on a dessert. There will be a photo area available for families to take a picture. A youth will be happy to take your family photo. And finally, thank you for choosing Edgewood. Please make your way safely to the stairs and we'll see you downstairs.